What is a study of the book of Revelation to do? What result is a study of the book of Revelation to bring? The Bible tells us that those who read it, those who study it, that we will be blessed. What does it mean that we'll be blessed in the study of the book of Revelation? What fruit is this study to bear? Very simply today, what are we to get out of a study of the book of Revelation? Here we are in these days. Here we are as this church, and we're studying the book of Revelation. Very simply, what are we to get out of a study of the book of Revelation? Now, as I was considering that, very honestly, the answers to that could be many. And I thought about that. There could be many answers to that. And I believe we might not even recognize all of the ways that God is working through this study. As I enter into it, as we come to it every week, I'm amazed at what we see. I'm amazed at what we learn. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're not even aware of all of the ways that God is working in this study. But I can tell you some of the things some of the, the ways that we will be impacted, some of the things this study will produce and is producing. Now, the first thing is this. A study of the book of Revelation, I believe, will produce a love and an adoration for Jesus Christ. And I believe that first and foremost, a study of the book of Revelation will produce a love and an adoration for Jesus. He is our hope, and we see that in this study. He is our Redeemer. He is the Lamb who was slain for our sin. He alone is our Savior. And I'll just tell you where we somehow tend to, to become cold to the idea of Jesus, somehow become apathetic to the idea of Jesus, I believe this study ignites in us a renewed love and adoration for our Savior, Jesus. I can tell you every single week as I prepare and as I leave this service, I just want to praise the name of our Savior, Jesus. Second thing, I believe a study of the book of Revelation uh, is to and will cause in us, listen to this, a hatred for sin. I believe a study of the book of Revelation will produce in us a hatred for sin. I think it will cause us to have a contempt, a disdain, an actual hatred for sin. Now, the sin of others, yes, but I think more than that, especially our own sin. Sin is why the lamb was slain. Sin is how we have rebelled against God, and sin is what God will judge. I'll just tell you something this morning. Today in our day, we are getting way too comfortable with sin. I think that's the culture that we're in. I think that's the swirl of life that we travel through. Today, for some reason, we have become comfortable with sin. We overlook sin. We accept sin. We explain sin away. I believe this study, the book of Revelation, will ignite in us a renewed hatred for sin. Third, I believe a study of the book of Revelation will and is to cause in us, is to rile in us an urgency to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, as we go through this study, we are seeing God's judgment of sin is coming. His wrath towards sin is real. And all of those outside of Christ will suffer it. And, and right now, we hold the good news, the remedy for sin, the good news of the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ our Savior. And I'll just tell you, every single week, especially in the section that we're in right now, as we work through our study, we should begin 
to burn with an urgency to tell a lost world about our Savior, Jesus. And I think that ought to be welling up in us as we look around at a lost world, as we see those that are suffering and will suffer eternally outside of a relationship with Christ. I believe this study in the book of Revelation should ignite in us a desire to tell the world of our gospel, our risen Savior, Jesus. And the fourth thing, I believe this study of the book of Revelation is and will cause in us to be confident of our hope. And I hope you're getting that. I hope that every week you're seeing that. This study should cause us to be confident of our hope. Friend, our hope, understand, it is secured by, it is set on, it is fixed in the finished work of our soon coming King, Jesus. And so I want to tell you, as we go in these days through tough days, as we go through hard days, as we go through days we can't have, we can't really understand what is happening. Listen, we can be confident in Jesus. It is fixed and finished and settled on our Savior, Jesus. And so I believe as we go through this study, we ought to walk out every week with a renewed confidence. You know what? I don't know what I'm going to face this week, but it is settled in Jesus. It is secure in Jesus. It is finished in Jesus. Jesus, the lamb who is slain has overcome. You know, I keep thinking about that. We, we talked about that about three weeks ago. Every time I start to think about something, you know what, it hadn't rained and the, the grass is dying up and it looks like these things are happening or I watch the political scene and these things are happening or I watch the economy and I see how much we're, we're paying for gas and for things and I start to worry, I start to remember. You know what, the lamb who was slain has overcome. Sin is paid for. Death is defeated. We have victory in Jesus. Our study ought to cause us to be confident in our hope. Well, today we're going to pick up in that study of Revelation. Today we pick back up in chapter 6. Our message this morning is entitled, Who is Able to Stand? Who is Able to Stand? Today we're in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 17. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through the end of the chapter, verse 17. Who is able to stand? I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 9, God's word says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal... I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black and sack, as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich 
and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. And Lord, we come and we know this is a supernatural event. We know this is a supernatural hour. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word that is living and active. And I pray, Lord, that it would bear much fruit in your church and your people today. Lord, I pray that we would be corrected today. I pray we would be encouraged today. I pray we would be built up, prepared in the day in which we're living. Lord, I pray if there's some that will hear this message in this room and maybe some other way, I pray if they do not know Christ, that in the hearing of the victory of the Lamb, uh, the redemption of sinners through Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, I pray that today they would turn to you and I pray that they would respond in faith. And I pray that any part that we could have in that, as we urge them on, as we preach your word, I pray that any hindrance would be removed. And I pray that today they would hear of you, that they would respond in faith. And in that, they would be saved today. Lord, we come and we thank you for Christ. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for a hope that is fixed and settled. Lord, I pray that you're honored and pleased in this hour. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For the context today, we are in the sixth chapter. Remember, starting in the sixth chapter, we began there last week, we have told to us the events that are to take place during the tribulation period. And if you want to know what this is, that's what this is. We have being told to us, reported to us, the events that will take place in the tribulation period. At this point, the church has been removed. The church has been raptured out. And John has seen and he has described to us the events that begin the tribulation. If you remember last week, we saw very interesting what are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse that are released in this time. Now, if you remember, the first was uh, the Antichrist. He is on a white horse. He is the false Christ, and he is deceiving. He is promising a victory that he cannot deliver. Uh, next was a red horse whose rider is war. This rider, uh, if you can imagine, he removes peace from all of the earth. And so he goes into the earth, and he removes peace from all of the earth. The third horse was a black horse. His rider is famine, and he ushers in a time of great want and a time of starvation, a time of famine. Now, the fourth horse revealed in the opening of the fourth seal, the Bible said, was an ashen horse, a gray horse, whose rider was death, and that horse was followed by Hades. We know that is the grave. And so death enters in, and following behind death is the grave. Now the Bible says that through him, at this time, in this event, a quarter of the earth will die. And so we saw last week, really nobody would not be impacted. Not anybody would, not, would be uh, unaffected by this. And so a quarter of the earth will die. 
Uh, in each episode, we saw, and it was very important, that one of the four living creatures introduced the horse and its rider by saying, come. Now, we talked about some folks think that that was a message for John to come and see. Uh, actually, that was a word that means go or go forth. And so these angels, these cherubim, doing the business of God, uh, they usher them out. They command them, it is your time, go forth. And so understand today, so far, as the years of tribulation unfold, it is a time of great suffering. It is a time of deception, of sickness, of persecution, and of death. It is a time like the world has never seen. It is a time of God's judgment being unleashed. Now, we stopped there last week with the unsealing of the fourth seal of the scroll. We're going to pick back up today uh, going to verse 9. Let's begin in verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Verse 9 tells us Jesus, the Lamb, he has the scroll, and as he unrolls it, he is broken four of its seals. Now he breaks the fifth seal, and he unrolls another section of the scroll. Now I want you to notice here, this seal and this section are different from the previous four. Uh, notice here, instead of a living creature calling, uh, being called forth and sent out, uh, a horse and its rider, here with the opening of this fifth seal, there is a scene that unfolds. And so the first four, uh, there is a horse and a rider that are called forth and then sent out. Well, now with the opening of this, there is a scene that unfolds. Here in this scene, John sees the altar. He says, and underneath the altar, he sees the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony to it, which they upheld. Now, understand the word for slain here. It is the same word used to describe the lamb who was as if slain. The lamb who was slain. That word for slain, it means murdered. Uh, it is an aggressive word. It means slaughtered. It means butchered. It refers to an aggressive, violent death. And so it says these folks have been slain. Here John reports they have died. They have been killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony they had maintained. And so he sees a scene here. There is an altar. There are some under the altar. Those folks there have been slain for the word of God and for their upholding of the testimony of that word. Now I'm going to read the next verse and then we're going to discuss it. Verse 9 again. And when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Verse 10, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on 
the earth. Okay, as we pass through the 10th verse now, uh, we should settle a couple things. The first is this, who are these souls? We have the description of these souls. Well, the question is, who are these souls? Now, let me give you some possible answers. There are some folks, and they say these are the martyrs, those that have died for their faith in God, their testimony of God, of all ages. And so they would say even the Old Testament age, all ages, the New Testament age, these are those who are the martyrs of all ages. Uh, there are some, in fact, there are many, and they say these are those who died for Christ's witness during the church age. And so they would say the age in which we're living, the, the church age, these are those who testified to Christ, to upheld their testimony to Christ, and they were killed for that testimony. And they would say these are those who were slain during the church age. Now, I will just tell you, and I'll just tell you very matter-of-factly, I do not believe either of those are true. No, these are those who after the star of the tribulation, after the star of the tribulation, accepted Christ and were saved. After that, they testified to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and more than that, they upheld that testimony of the gospel even to the point of death. And that's who I believe these folks are. They were those that were saved after the beginning of the tribulation, they testified, upheld the testimony of the gospel, and they were killed for upholding the gospel. Now you would say, how do you get that? How do you come to that conclusion? Let me tell you a couple of reasons why. First, notice there, it says they are souls. It says they are souls. The souls of those who had been slain. Now what that means is they do not have a resurrection body as of yet. Now, this is going to be a little bit complex. Let me walk you through it. Remember at the rapture of the church, now there is a description of that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says that the dead in Christ are going to come with Christ, and at that point they receive their resurrection body. Well, these folks have died after that event, and they do not have their resurrection body. They do not have a resurrection body, therefore they are called souls. Now, I believe even more telling than that, notice it says in verse 10 that they are calling out for God to judge those who dwell on the earth. Now, I want you to think with me through that. They are calling out for God to judge those who are on the earth. And so if these are those who died in all ages, or if they have died in the church age, their persecutors would have long since perished from the earth. But these persecutors that we're reading about, they are still on the earth. That's what it says. And so I believe it was from the tribulation period that they were slain for their belief in and their testimony to our Savior Jesus. And so these are those who received Christ after the tribulation, who have stood, stood for Christ during the tribulation period, and they are slain for it. Now, I want you to notice here what they are calling for. I think this is very important. Let's go back to, to verse 10. How long, O Lord, holy and true, 
Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, I want you to see this. They are calling for God's judgment. They are found crying out for God's judgment on those evil doers. Now consider this. What could be their motivation for that? What do you think is their, their motivation for that? It could be retribution. It could be. It could be payback. They could be still upset about that. They could be seeking a payback. But I want to tell you, I believe it is much bigger than that. You see, with the final judgment of God on sin and evil, those days will have ended. Sin will have ended. Suffering for sin will have ended. Persecution for the word will be ceased. And I believe they are calling out here for the end. That's what I believe they're calling out for. Oh, God, that you would judge this. Oh, God, that this will be over, that there will be an end to these days. Let me show you two things. The first, the lost world has always hated the word of Christ and the witness for Christ. And that is always true. Jesus said that was going to be true. We find that to be true even now. And so understand, the lost world has always hated the word of Christ. Now, I don't understand that. Here's a remedy for your sin. Here's forgiveness for your sin. Here's an answer for your sin. But the lost world has always hated the word of Christ, and therefore they have always hated the witness for Christ. Well, in these days of tribulation, that is going to escalate. As evilness is ramped up, as it is rampant on the earth, Those in those days, that is going to escalate many fold. Second thing is this. For believers, God's final day of judgment, listen to this very carefully, it is not a day to dread. For believers, God's day of, of judgment is not a day to fear, but it is a day to seek. Oh, God, that you would make an end of it. Oh, God, that, that you would judge sin and you would remove it from our sight. And the cries of a believer ought to be, How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? That is their cry here. How long, O oh Lord, that we would judge, that you would judge sin, that it would be removed forever, and that this suffering would end. Verse 11. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. And there was given to each of them a white robe and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. Tells us here given to them was a robe. Now the word, if you look it up in the original language in the Greek there, it is a robe, but it is a long robe. It is a robe that would have touched the floor. A robe of that length signified dignity. 
And so here they were, and the world gave them no respect. The world gave them no dignity, but here they have robes that display dignity. And the robe is white. That signifies purity and holiness. Again, that was provided for by the Lamb, Jesus. And so understand, these robes signify dignity. These robes signify the righteousness of Jesus Christ, of purity and holiness. And so these robes, as they wore them, would help comfort them, would help console them. Then the message is, rest for a little while longer. More are going to die. That is the message. There are more that are going to die. And it is not the end of the age yet. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to see two encouraging things right here. First is this. They can rest in Christ. And the second thing is the end is near. And so the word to them is it's not that time yet. It's not the end of the age yet that you're seeking. And so they are given that robe as a sign of comfort. But they have these two encouraging things told to them They can rest in Christ, and the end is near. Folks, I want to tell you today, listen to me very carefully. Did you know we can faithfully claim the same? And I know we're in this study, and I know this is not the day that it's talking about, but I want to tell you, we can faithfully claim the same. I want you to listen to me very carefully. I do not care what situation you're in. And I don't care what hardship you're walking through. I don't care what station of life you find yourself in this morning. Listen to me. We can rest in Christ Jesus. It is finished in Christ Jesus. There is peace fixed and settled in the person of Christ Jesus. And so I want you to hear me today. We can rest in Jesus. And then I want to tell you the second part of that is today as we are resting in Jesus, we can also take hope very shortly the end is coming. Listen, for a believer, that is a good thing. We very shortly can hold to the hope the end very shortly, very soon is coming. There'll be no sorrows there, no more burdens to bear. No more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. But forever I will be with the one who died for me. Listen to me, friend. We can rest in Christ, and we can know at the same time our hope is this. The end is very near. Rest in Christ. Listen to me, believer. The end is very near. All right, we move to the next seal. Moving to verse 12. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. Verse 13, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig trees cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Verse 14, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, I want you to picture that. I want you to think of those events. I want you to imagine each one. I'm going to read that again. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig tree, as a fig tree cast its unripe figs 
when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. In these days of tribulation, the Bible is telling us here, the revelation is telling us here, there will be this happening. There will be this spectacular event. It will be wild. It will really be unimaginable. Now, I will just tell you this. There are some, and they try and explain this, and really I think they're trying to explain this away by saying that these things are symbolic, that they represent other things. And so they would come along and say, this is actually what is happening, and these are what these things represent. This is not what's going to happen, but they represent or they teach us of things that are going to occur. Well, let me just tell you this. I believe these things are literal. I believe these things will happen just as it is told here in God's Word. I believe this is the event, unexplainable, astonishing as it is, that will occur. Notice, so far, all of the terrible things that are taking place, we can somewhat relate to. Now, listen, not to this scale, but as we hear the terrible things that are promised, uh, we can relate somewhat to those things. When it talks about famine, uh, we may have never suffered to this extent, but we understand that. We can picture that. When it talks about great sickness, we've never suffered it to this extent, but we can understand that. We can picture that. When it talks about a lack of peace, we see that all around us. When it talks about great war, a, a time of war, again, not to the extent that we know, but we can understand that. We can picture those things. But I want you to understand, when you read that verse, these are things that we have never witnessed. These are things that we cannot relate to. Really, I'm not sure these are things that we can even fathom as we try to picture them. One of the reasons, and there's, there's several of them, but I'll just tell you one of, the, one of the reasons that I believe this is literal is because I believe the creation account in Genesis is also exactly literal. Now, some may call that crazy, but I do believe that. I believe that account uh, is literal. I believe this is literal as well. And I want you to watch this. Stay with me. Listen to this. In Genesis, God supernaturally causes there to be dry ground. And now he supernaturally causes it to quake, breaking its moorings that he had set, and the islands and the mountains are moved. In Genesis, God supernaturally caused the sun to shine its light on the earth, and now I believe he supernaturally causes it to go dark. In Genesis, God supernaturally spreads the sky out into the atmosphere, and now he supernaturally rolls it up as a scroll that he is finished with. In Genesis, God supernaturally places a lesser light to mark the night. Now he supernaturally turns it blood red as a marker of his wrath. In Genesis, God supernaturally places the scars up in the heavens. The psalmist says that he numbers and he names each and every one of them. Well, here we see that he supernaturally drops them to the earth like drops of rain, like fruit that falls from a tree. I want you to make no mistake here. God is moving. God is working supernaturally. It is nothing the whole world has ever seen, but God is working, moving supernaturally. 
It is unimaginable. It is like men have never seen. Now, I want you to watch this. Verse 15. Then, you have those descriptions. Then, the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. I want you to see what happens here. The, the earth is quaking, the, the mountains, the islands are moved, the sky rolls up, the sun goes black, the stars are falling down, the, the moon becomes glowing blood red, and John reports here that the slave and the free man, the rich and the poor man, the learned and the ignorant man, the strong and the weak man, the great and the modest man, all of them, all of mankind, the Bible says they flee to the caves. They flee to the mountains, all of them. Oh, I'm a commander of a great army. Oh, I'm a leader of a political movement. Oh, the wealth that I have. All of them flee to the mountains. Verse 16. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. It's better that we die. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Get this, see this scene. There is no doubt. There is no discussion. There is no doubt. I want you to see this. They do not deny Christ. They do not mock Christ. They do not laugh at God. No, the Bible says they fear him. Where they might have went and had a discussion saying, well, this is why I don't believe those things. Well, this is why I think that is a superstition. This is why I think that is nonsense. While they might want to say, I'm so far, so much more intelligent than that. They might have had a discussion at one time. They no longer deny Christ. They're not found mocking Christ. They're not laughing at God. There is no doubt. Verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? God will judge sin. God's wrath, his anger towards sin is great. His punishment of sin is terrible. And his final judgment of it, it is near. It is coming. And in light of that, the question is this, and who is able to stand? And who is able to stand? Who has not sinned? Who has not rebelled against God? Who is not guilty? Who has any measure of righteousness, any measure of all? Who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? I can tell you the answer. Right now, I can tell you the answer. Who can stand? No one. No one outside of Jesus can stand. That's not the end, however. And I want to show you here the gospel in this. I want to show you the good news in this. 
No one outside of Jesus can stand, but I want you to keep listening to me. But anyone and everyone in Jesus will stand. Did you hear what I just said? Anyone and everyone in Jesus will stand. Do you see that this morning? We're not going to cry out on that day. We're not going to cry out on that day. We'll be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. We will have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Our sins have been forgiven. Our redemption has been secured. We've been redeemed of our guilt. We've been pardoned of our record. And on that day, listen to me, in the grace and the power and the, and the, the might of God, in God's power, we shall stand. Dressed in Christ, we shall stand. You know, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. We have a judgment. We're guilty of sin, condemned in our sin. Do that punishment. But I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is this. The lamb was slain, paying our penalty in great grace and great love. And now he offers it to us. And that is the good news of the gospel. On that day, in his righteousness, robed in it, we shall stand. Here's the question today. Are you still in your sin? Are you walking around in the guilt of your sin, the weight of your sin? Are you waiting the final consequence of your sin? It is coming. Or have you trusted Jesus today? Listen to me. The good news of the gospel is this. If you've trusted Jesus, he's forgiven you of your sin. He's taken your shame and he's carried it off. He's redeemed you, bought you. He's restored you. He's offered you in his grace eternal life. And you, the, the testimony of Revelation, will stand. Are you still in your sin? Or have you trusted Jesus as the remedy for your sin? I want to tell you the good news is this. His grace is offered to you right now. His grace is offered to you right now. If you'll turn to Jesus as the remedy for your sin, he'll save you right now. Save you from his wrath, his judgment of sin. If you trusted Jesus today, you trusted Jesus today. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and we praise you today. We come and we see you again as our Savior, our hope. We see you as the righteous judge. We see you boiling in your wrath towards sin. We also see you that you've made a way for us as sinners. Lord, I, I pray that we are encouraged as we hear this today. I pray that we're confident as we hear this today, I pray that we're urgent in the sharing of the gospel today. And I pray if there's one or many that do not know you, I pray today knowing the truth of your coming judgment that today they would turn. They would receive you in faith. They would be saved today. Their eternity changed today. Their status changed today by faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray whatever, whatever needs to be in place to facilitate that, I, I pray, Lord, that your gospel, they hear it, that they can understand it. And I pray, Lord, that it bears much fruit on this day. And then, Lord, I pray for us here who are saved, I pray that we understand time is short. And though we rest in you, it is also an urgent time that we can share the good news of a risen Savior. Help us in that. Propel us in that. Lord, we come, we give you this time of invitation. I pray that you work in it, that you move in it. I pray that the fruit of it, the result of it, bring glory to you. Lord, we tell you we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you that the preaching of God's Word, that is the central thing that we do. We know it's in the hearing of the gospel that people are saved. It's the power of God unto salvation. But I want to tell you, I believe the most important time of this hour is the chance to respond to the preached Word of God. And so if you're here today, listen to me, and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you His grace is offered to you right this instant. If you'll trust Him today, I don't care what your sin is. I don't care about your hidden sins, your known sins. Don't care about your reputation. If you'll trust Jesus right this instant, turn to him as the remedy for your sin, claiming him as your Savior, he'll save you right now. He'll forgive you right now. If you've never done that, do that. If you need more information, if you want to talk that through, if you want me to show you what that, where that's at in Scripture, you come. Let's settle that today. Do not leave here today without that settled. Maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never fought in believer's baptism. And I want to tell you what, a, what an awesome thing in these last days of the church age to come and say, I want to testify to my Savior, Jesus. And I want to testify through baptism. It's not part of our salvation. It is in testimony to it. And so maybe you'd come and say, yes, I've trusted Christ. And maybe it was here recently. Maybe it was some way back in the past. But you never fought in believer's baptism by immersion after the point that we're saved. And you would come and say, you know what? In these days, I want to testify. I want to celebrate my Savior and the testimony of baptism, you come as well. We'll set a date, it'll be a great day of celebration, pointing to our Savior, Jesus. Maybe you're here, and you're looking for a church home, and you've prayed about it, and you believe God has led you here. You come as well, and together we'll uphold His Word. We'll preach His gospel for His glory till He comes back and gets us. Maybe you're here, and you're dealing with something altogether different, and I want to tell you, we have a God that's gracious to us in all things. He knows us, He sees us, He loves us, Tells us nothing is too big for him, and, and in awesome grace, nothing is too small. And so maybe you want to come pray at an altar here in humility. Maybe you want to come pray with me here at the front. This is our time of response. I'm going to ask that no one would move around or stir for an exit. We'll be done in just a moment. I'm going to ask that you would pray for those who are making decisions. If you're in the balcony, you can be down here in a second. Uh, wherever you're seated, you can be here in a second. If God is speaking to you, if you have a decision to make, if you'd like to pray at the front, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here.